The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again <laughs> with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? think there's a connection between spires that are built on these cathedrals which are cathodes which is alchemical the grounder the grounding cord the grounding negative charge that you get from the positive charge which is floating electrons and moving electronic particles need a negative charge and that's what cathodes are right cathodes are grounded and they basically catch electrons positive charge and they put it through the ground that gets dispersed and then it kind of repeats like that that's the basic kind of understanding of electricity and energy you have to have the polarity um in the hermetic sense it's masculine to feminine there's always there's always the two um that equals the three you have the positive and negative charge that equals energy your centrifugal energy point is your heart chakra your heart which is your center which is the center of the cross which is you know in in an alchemical sense is the energy after you take all of these points together create it and connect it to a grounding cord and you have the energy in the middle point of that which is why you see crosses on the on the tops of these crowns to shoot the energy or connect it and redistribute it or, or on top of the staffs and such Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. 
I'm your host, Mark Palmer. And on today's episode, we have another fantastic guest. And I hope you wouldn't expect anything less at this point in time. We are in the hundred and teens and the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast is off to an amazing start. Less than, I, I guess it's, it's, it's a little bit less than a year. No, it's been a year and, and a month or two. And we're already close to 200,000 downloads. That's right. And I got to thank everybody who supports us by listening to the show. And most importantly, I got to thank everybody who supports us on Patreon. That's right. You guys rule. I love it. And uh, big shout out to Sam Tripoli. Of course, Tinfoil Hat. The GOAT. The greatest of all time. And... Here we are, another episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and this one was a visual episode. The homie Romy and I, we were talking about a very interesting topic, something that I think has come up a lot lately. Obviously, you've heard me say it before, Tartaria, 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 and Roman and I, we want to get uh, down to the meat and potatoes and really define some of the tangible research subjects within this realm of Tartaria. So we're starting with uh, what we call resonant architecture or architecture uh, with a resonance. That's right. So with that in mind, Roman and I both came to the table with a presentation if you want to see the visual side of this episode, please go to patreon.com slash MFTIC, sign up for the Patreon, and you can get all of the video content for the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, including this episode. We also put everything on Rockfin, so if Rockfin is your thing, you can go there and check it out. And sorry, you were late, but every Rockfin uh, sorry, every episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast is streamed live on Rockfin. So be sure to follow us there. You don't even have to really pay for it. It's free. Yeah, that's right. It's free. And you know what else is free? If you go over to the Telegram, you can catch every episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast stream live. Audio only, of course, but for this episode, you definitely want to check out the visuals. It's like I said, Roman prepared some really awesome slides for us. We talked about architecture. We talked about crowns, scepters, and how all of these different elements in these ceremonial or religious settings may have had more than just a ceremonial purpose it's not just symbolic it's harmonic that's right welcome to our first edition of this topic resonant architecture because i thought it was so interesting that uh that i invited roman to come back again next month to do it again and maybe more polished this time because i'll admit to you here now that i was not as prepared for this episode as I had liked to be. Like to be. La 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 like to be. Yes. I read a book by Walter Bosley uh, this weekend and I got so sucked into that book that I was like, oh, I'll just talk about this. I'll just talk about everything in this book. That'll be my presentation, uh, which is not a good idea because Walter is not 
dead. He's a, a living person who <laughs> does interviews on his work. So I can't present his work to you guys. But I did my best to share some interesting insights without giving away the whole book. So please check that book out. Uh, 33rd Latitude by Walter Bosley. Hold on. Latitude 33, Key to the Kingdom, the Arcane Science and Hermetic Engineering of the Happiest Place on Earth. And that's a great book, and it was a great read. Uh, Unfortunately, again, wasn't prepared for this discussion, but that's cool, because Roman and I, you know, we have a good flow. We're friends. We've been bros now for quite a while. He synchronistically was on the same joint sessions as I was back in the day and here we are now creating some really awesome work together some research piling it up and leaving it for you guys to sort through let us know what you think thanks again for listening to my family thinks some crazy podcast and enjoy this episode with Roman from the rising from the ashes podcast You know how it is. Smoking weed on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast is a must. Oh, let me show you. Let me show you what I rolled for this specifically. Oh, oh, hell yeah! <laughs> so Thanks. I was at the I was at the Emer- Emerald Cup this weekend, and the Emerald Cup was a is a big like harvest ball, and so it was a big party, and there was a bunch of dope bands and lectures going on and stuff. So I went and like, you know. Gave out some product and all that stuff, and then I I got this little three piece chicken foot holder, and so super stoked. How do you even how do you even efficiently smoke that? Just real BDE, my brother. Why are you turning your lights off? <laughs> it seems like I'm talking to you next to the campfire now. <laughs> exactly. That's the vibes, brah. You got some more slides. You got some more shit done because of the little delay here. 80, Sorry about that. I got 80 slides. What the fuck? I got 80 slides ready. I thought you said you yeah. weren't going to be able to put 15 minutes together. <laughs> I mean, no, I just, I just, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right, um, good. Because I'm nervous, dude. I, I did not prepare the presentation slides. I have it all in my head, so... But I do have okay. some pictures that I can show, and I'll Google stuff too. But So we're going to be relying heavily on your presentation, brother. Sweet. Well, let's, I mean, it's, I'm going, it starts out kind of like, so I'm calling it antiquated transhumanism and resonance architecture. And basically going to go into just like, you know, current transhumanism and what it is and then tie it into how we can. And then we're looking at it through the lens of the electric universe because it's type of the paradigm that I kind of allow, allow a lot of this like ancient culture, you know, collecting ether energy, right? Through the ether and and through their, and through their technology, A lot of it, you know, it can can actually be like easily seen through the uh, lens of the electric universe. So that's kind of another big ploy that I'm I'm pulling from here. And so, yeah, it's I mean, it's, you know, whether we want to call it like, you know, the electric star paradigm or the Saturnian paradigm or Saturnian cosmology, 
you know, there it's, I mean, I, it, there's just so much, there's so much to unpack in this. And that's why it's really hard for me to conceptually lay it all out because it's like, wow, it's like, there's just so much to unpack. And a lot of it is like written in some words that if we can even trust those words, you know, so, <laughs> trying to pull from the mainstream, trying to pull from the occult, trying to pull from, you know, like all this just different information. And then you try to put it together. It seems just like one of those, you know, everything in the kitchen sink stew, you know? And so I don't know, but we're going to try it out. We're going to see how it goes. It should go. Should go. We will be live streaming this. No pressure, dude. No, oh, fuck. No, no pressure. That's why I got the campfire lights. <laughs> Someone in my Rockfin live stream said I was dressed like a homeless they said, I dress like a homeless wizard, but you cool, though, was their exact comment. <laughs> <laughs> but you cool, though. <laughs> what, man? For what? If you're listening to this live on Rockfin, we love you and we appreciate you. We are oh, rolling. Are we live? Dude, oh, we are rolling. We, we've oh, been recording shit. this whole time, homie, Romy. We do cold roll-ins. God damn it. He's always getting me with the cold rollins. What up, everybody? <laughs> it is Homie Romy here, co-host of Rising from the Ashes. I got my first presentation, and Mark is uh, great, gracious enough to let me on to MFTIC to kind of help me break it down because Mark has a shizeltine full of information, and I love his brain. So I'm hoping that, uh, that you know, after this kind of series of slides that we put together we can kind of come to some deeper understandings of this of this mythical mystery this magnificent mystery that we're that we're that we're that we're all living in here speaking of mystery you're in a very mysterious place right now you have a campfire behind you it seems or in front of you as well the perspective is all off, but you know what, Roman? I'm happy you're here. I'm happy we just opened yes. up the show. Ladies and gentlemen, yes. you are listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. One moment. We got to go live on Telegram, include all the homies on the Telegram. And I, oh, I'm trying nice. to slow down the pace of the show a little bit because I used to be like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Here we are. Ooh. And it's too fast, too loud, too rough, and and I almost just turned Roman off right there. So, oof! Hey, I'm not a Roman off. You know, I'm not associated <laughs> with the Holy Roman Empire. I'm not a Roman off. <laughs> you know, this this name I think was given to me because there's no reason. There's no reason why I should be into any of this weird ass shit through the <laughs> through my history of where I come from and who my my family like honestly is kind of like a bunch of very poor drug addicts from a very small town in Washington you know so and then whenever I ask my mom why she named me Roman it's like always kind of like a like you know oh I don't actually know why there was a last minute you know reasoning as to as to why we named you that. So I, I, I think now, now that I'm getting into this shit and like life is turning ever since starting the show and, and getting into the podcast realm, I think that this is, I think this, it's almost fate in the sense that, cause I'm, a, I'm addicted to it. I'm addicted to knowledge now and esoteric findings. It's, it fuels me. It literally fuels me. And it was, there was a missing little chunk in my heart. And this has kind of been busted open of all the goodness. And, and I'm just, uh, I'm grateful to be a part of it, man. 
Well, yeah, I'm glad you shared that with me because I have similar beginnings in a way, you know, definitely don't come from like a silver spoon in my mouth or anything like that. And I think our our upbringing only lends to this type of thinking that comes in so you know so handy when we're navigating these waters, you know, because you you really learn to question everything from that young age when when things don't you know especially when you see like stuff going on in your family. We don't have to make this a tangent, but I just want to point out, you know, when you notice these things in your family at a young age and then you see other people's families you get this idea like oh like what's wrong with me what's wrong with this you know this family that i was born into all these other people have it so much better when the truth is everybody's got you know dirty laundry (laughs) so so that's that's kind of you know for me come full circle and parallel now that i'm looking into all this stuff because it's like yeah nobody Nobody's immune to to these the implications of some of these conspiracy theories. If nine eleven was an inside job, all of us got duped. You know, it wasn't it wasn't ten percent of us who who got tricked. You know, it was everybody got tricked, and some people still haven't woken up from that. But uh, but anyways, here we are. We're live back again, motherfuckers. We do yes. so many intros on this show because I just want to like. I want to delay this as much as possible because I haven't even finished rolling this blunt, homie Romy. So I hope you have, I hope you have time tonight. I hope you're you're not on a set schedule or something. I'm on the set schedule of sway. <laughs> okay, I almost got scared there for a second. So, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned, and ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, oh Mark gosh, Palmer. Thank you guys so much, and we're just so happy to be here. Me and the homie Romy just fucking around right now we're not we're not taking things seriously this is my family thinks some crazy podcast if you want to listen to some smarty pants go listen to my family thinks i'm a genius podcast yeah which doesn't exist because everybody's an idiot (laughs) and that's okay that's okay and i think after we get into what we're going to get into today we might all feel a little dumber but that's okay because you need to realize that the fool is the beginning of the journey. You have to recognize that you've been fooled in order to even walk this path. Yes. Yeah. Now that's the thing. Uh, you know, that's something else. I'm going to go into this before we start the presentation about that, you know, allowing, allowing the, I don't know, the heaviness of being fooled to wash off you and to let go and to say, you know what? Yeah, like I I was duped. It's okay that I was duped. It's fine. And I feel like a lot of people hold on to this like this almost ignorance of like no, I there's no absolute way that that I could be duped. And I but coming, you know, from a from a pretty noble background of, you know, just having to really just work to get anywhere in this society, I have I've I've always been duped and so like I've always just had to come out from being duped so i just always assumed we're being duped and i you know it's 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 slightly cynical but i'm on the optimistic end of it right well with this architecture stuff you know i want to get it out of the way yes we're going to use the word tartaria possibly in the title of this show but this is not going to be one of those tartaria podcasts where we just speculate wildly and take all of these loose things and and put them all under one umbrella because 
what Roman and I have set out to do is to define what I think Roman coined this term, at least between the two of us. I don't know if someone else had come up with it in history, but resonant architecture, a.k.a. architecture or buildings designed with the intention or with the purpose of conducting, channeling, or storing energy within the building itself, or maybe even taking the energy and transferring it somewhere else. So like we have a couple of different scenarios here, but the key point is that energy plus a building equals resonant architecture somehow. And that's what we want to figure out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, like it, that's why we are very much so trying to not label it Tartaria because a lot of people say like, look at these Tartarian buildings and they're just, you know, it's all over the world. It's all over the globe. And granted, they are all built very similarly with the specific amount of spires and the doorways and, you know, the alchemy, the alchemical understanding of, of, of the similarities between everything and, and how it works. And so, but, you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to break the mold here a little bit and trying to think outside the box because I think we need to shake things up a little bit. You know, I, I, I noticed there's a lot tartarian books and a literature coming out so you know we might be needing to watch for psyops that's interesting you say that coming have you where 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 have you seen these tartaria coming soon books oh there's just like you can go to amazon and there's a character there that has written five deep detailed books on tartaria there's more and more and more podcasts coming out about it there's, you know, documentaries on BitChu and YouTube and so much. Right. And a lot of it is very real and, you know, researchers and then, but some of them are like, kind of like, wow, where did this, where did this guy pop up from? You know, just wrote five books in 2020 about all of this. Interesting. Well, I definitely think that, you know, Tartaria and the theories aren't new, but it's certainly been said on the show before that it seems to have come out of nowhere and i think i even figured out i don't know if i figured it out but i remember talking maybe it was on our big you know round table that you guys hosted michelle gibson and the rest of us on but i mentioned like when tartaria got into like the conspiratorial zeitgeist and i just fucking am pinching myself for forgetting but there was a period in time when tartaria just became like really popular online and it had it had some sort of correlation to something going on in like the news cycle or or maybe even like a world event but it was 2017 or 18 that putin released a bunch of russian historical documents out of their archives and it was flooded with tartarian maps and the word tartary all over and so that's kind of is that kind of the time frame that you're thinking of now that you said that the article i read said that the whole tartaria stuff came about after the cia released a uh, a document about rewriting history in communist russia so wow that's i mean very interesting and i i don't necessarily take sides you know i'm not like against putin and for the cia i'm certainly not for the cia or Putin, I'm you know, fully for Putin. I mean, <laughs> if I were to pick a side, I know what side I would pick. Yeah, I think. 
you know because I mean, of the tartaria thing though or is it is there more than that roman i might be a romanoff i might be a part of the roost <laughs> horde you know like in a past life i'm not sure but oh, i definitely man. resonate with the roost at points you know okay okay well yeah i mean naturally with the conversations <laughs> we're getting into here and all of the many awesome tartaria talks you've had on your podcast rising from the ashes shout out to dan Danunaki, past guest on this show Dan, I see you there in the Telegram live chat listening, brother. He wants to speak, but he's had his turn. He's had his turn. (laughs) Oh, he just just put his hand down. (laughs) Shout out to you, Dan. This is Roman's turn, but we'll have you back on very soon. But either way, we talked a lot about it. And like you kind of mentioned just before, like, hmm, maybe there is a synchronistic connection uh, to your name uh, again your your family doesn't really have the maybe the best explanation or at least i don't remember why they named you roman which i don't have such an interesting story i'm named after my dad so there's really no explanation there other than that so but anyways we've been beating around the bush a lot here let's get to this fucking presentation that you've been cooking up over there dog what the hell you got a whole light show going on Ready? you got people coming in and out let's go hit the screen share Doop, doop, doop. All right. All right, everybody, let's go. <laughs> and we're going to get the screen share on Zoom. The screen share on Zoom. I like to sing. Everybody. You are, you are a rapper. I think people should let should be aware that when, when you're on the Christian and Conspiracy podcast, you spit some bars, and Josh Monday had some bars too. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, hoping we can do that more. Damn, did you make this on Canva? Yeah. So <laughs> I'll, let me let everybody know. This I like is it. The free version of Canva. This is so, and some of the photos in here are not, I, you know, I threw this together because this is my first presentation. I was at an event all weekend called the Emerald cup in Santa Rosa. And, Very cool. Um, yeah, it was great. I had a great time. I really needed that unwinding of like going to a concert and, you know, just seeing a uh, dirt wire is an amazing band. I don't know if you guys have ever heard, listen to dirt wire, super vibey music. They make a lot of their own instruments and they play world m- instruments. So good. But here we are. This presentation, my friends, is called Antiquated Transhumanism and Resonance Architecture. To understand more about our ancient our ancient ancestors and their understanding of the electromagnetic grid of the planet and how they connected their consciousness to it, similar to how transhumanism is described as connecting our consciousness to computers as we know it now. Right. Which can be formed i have three forms of consciousness in my in my in my lens that i i view things with i you know i look at the cosmic consciousness which is you know cosmic in the sense of like you know the plasma that connects the galaxy you have the atmosphere and human collective consciousness which go uh, like is where we connect as a human species into a collective consciousness psychically and such and then you have the consciousness of the computer which is i i'm i'm working on another theory of like how and why the mud flood may have happened through and why it needed to happen if we had such a grab 
grasp on the electromagnetic grid. I think, and this is just me speculating from a theory that I'm just slowly putting together, but, you know, a new break in science and computing to kind of go deeper into quantum. And that, you know, might have been like a let go of some of some of the old ways to transition into deeper, more fractalized computing and jumping around wormholes and such. Anyways, here we go. Antiquated transhumanism and resonance architecture. Here we go. What is transhumanism? Oh, okay. Yep, like I said, first presentation. Transhumanism is a movement that aims to use technology to enhance human intellect, physiology, and physiological abilities. This can be anything from brain implants to bionic eyes and stem cell tech to exoskeleton bodysuits. Okay, it brought me back to the first slide. <laughs> this reminds me of being in school. And it's skipping around like a little schoolboy. Bear with us. <laughs> Transhumanism can be viewed as an extension of humanism from which it is partially derived. Humanists believe that humans matter, that individuals matter. And we might not be perfect, but we can make things better by promoting rational thinking, freedom, tolerance, democracy, and concern for our fellow human beings. Transhumanists agree with this, but also emphasize that we have the potential to become. Just as we use rational means to improve the human condition and the external world, we can also use such means to improve ourselves, the human organism. In doing so, we are not limited to traditional humanistic methods, such as education and cultural development, but we can also use technological means that will eventually enable us to move beyond what some would think as human. Yikes. The world is evolving positively due to transhumanism tech and science. I believe that it will, and this is from extremetech.com, I'm not reading an usurped of mine, just to fill you guys in on that. I'm actually not necessarily uh, for transhumanism. The world is evolving positively due to transhumanism tech and science. I believe it will continue to evolve into a place where living standards and the happiness of all people sharply rise as a result. In the future, I think there will be more interconnectedness than ever before. While I'm a big fan of the individual and their rights, such interconnectedness due to a digital culture will bring us all closer, possibly in ways we couldn't imagine. Eventually, advancements in technology such as widespread chip implants, virtual currencies, and brainwave reading devices, which already exist, will force issues of equality and universal universality across all communities and borders globalization will not just be a slow jog will become a full sprint <laughs> so like i said that is from the extremetech.com so this is from the mainstream point of view of transhumanism which is a large following of very rich people we have a lot of people that are huge, very, very, very successful people who are backing up transhumanist movement, funding it with absolute just billions of dollars, my friends, right? Elon Musk is a huge one. He's going to launch uh, Neuralink next year with people signed up to put graphene oxide mesh onto their brain to connect it to a cloud. Wow. 
Jeffrey Epstein was said to have been incredibly interested in the transhumanist movement. That's, you know, documented. Klaus Schwab, you know, the head of the World Economic Forum, just from looking at all of the movements that the WEF is into and the push for the fourth industrial revolution, I, I strongly believe that Klaus Schwab is absolutely for the transhumanist movement. Nick Bostrom, who is just a little rat looking guy, you know, that's the, there's nothing wrong with rats. I actually, you know, I think they're kind of cute, but you know, he's just, you know, one of those guys, Nick Ballstrom, look him up. I couldn't find anything bad on him. You won't find anything bad on any of these people because, you know, it's transhumanism. So who runs the internet, right? And here I got some pictures you guys to look at. Yeah, looks like a detonator, right? Some sort of bomb with syringes in the back of the uh, here. And I learned that this, this is a, a chakra point called the mouth of God chakra. So when you're standing in the shower and the water's hitting the back of your head, hot water and and you feel like you're just meditating it's a beautiful thing so that the artist put these here which is really interesting this is a very famous transhumanist you know using three hands to write evolution because you know you can't write evolution fast enough because that's not that's not how evolution works one of my main issues with this movement isn't the cohesion and relationship of human to technology it is simply the merging of human and technology What's your opinion on that? My opinion on technology being used to what now? I'm, I'm sorry. I was lighting my blunt. I was not paying attention. You caught me. One of my main issues with this movement, the transhumanist movement, isn't the cohesion and the relationship of human to technology. But my issue is the merging. Right. Phys physical merging of human and technology. And, and my, my uh, thoughts know, on that I, um, might be counterintuitive, yeah. but maybe we'll save my thoughts for the end because I do have my notepad in front of me and I'm taking notes because I do want to respond in full to all of this. So, so yeah, let, take care away. If you have anything you think I can add, feel free to include me, but I am taking notes. So if you want to save your questions for the end, I think that would be the best format. All right, perfect. So yeah, so everybody, that's just a quick breakdown of, of what transhumanism is and in the mainstream narrative now, right? And so we're going to jump to our ancient cultures. And when I say ancient, I mean, you know, I, I mean, relative antiquity, you know, I, I guess... 1700 and before you know i'm not sure what the term ancient has to be involved with on a on a on an actual timeline but anyways so we're gonna go around and we're gonna take the lens if you can everybody if, I, if you need me to explain this in a deeper sense i will but i want you guys to try to visualize through a lens of the electric universe if if everything moves on an energetic sense, right, the flow between back and forth, the alchemical flow of energy and electricity just constantly moving around within our atmosphere. And our understanding of that as an ancient species and that being the reason why we were so in-depth with everything that we did from art to philosophy, to literature, to education, and so much more connection, spiritual spirituality, and so much more connection and cohesion of nature, understanding energy points and understanding the soft, the soft, gushy goodness, if you will, of our 
love, our, our, our deep penetrating love for the earth and the understanding of the planet and possibly the galaxy as well. So the main reason why like I, I got into this is because, you know, thinking about suppression of history through the Tartaria lens that's been going around, you know, I, I was, we're, we're talking a lot about the empire and buildings and, but there's a connection between the spires and the crowns and the swords and the staffs and the, and the globe and cross and the scepters there's a connection between conductive materials being used in clothing, in our cups and stained glasses, nanocolloidal, nanocolloidal conductive materials used microscopically, nanotech, to make stained glass, to have a specific LSPR, plasmon resonance, radiating through the glass so in-depth, so absolutely unbelievably in-depth, absolutely everything, down to a molecular T. Nanotech is not new in the sense of, of, of making things biologically available by breaking it down to a micro-particle and putting it in a solution and, and using these solutions for medicine or using it for art. This is, this is very, very, what we would consider high-tech in today's science terms, nanotech, right, and things like that. This is not new by any means. And so there's a connection between transhumanism now and what we would consider transhumanism in the past. But I think one of the main things that we have that's different than what and why I think the large part of the paradigm shift that happened is computing and, and there being a breakthrough in science because humans, obviously, we've been so deeply embedded into science and astrology and cosmologies for so long and to the point where... There was cataclysms, catastrophic events and wars to basically suppress the information, keep it in very specific hands and keep that the same agenda going. So we're going to look at different things here. A lot of different random pictures. These are crowns from all over the world. There was crowns on each reach of land on, on, on islands to the eastern, to the west, to the north and to the south. And they all had similarities in their architecture, but also in the things that the royals and people in the elites at the time were wearing. And, you know, I think a large part of the history we're not being told about is the, the conscious connection that they understood to the electromagnetic grid. A lot of these stories were being told is that these were used to symbol, uh, symbolize royalty and they were treasures and they had nothing more than aesthetic pleasures about them they didn't hold any purpose i don't think that to be true and i'll tell you why because these materials are so heavily conductive and if you've ever worked with crystals if you've ever done meditation if you've ever had any sort of like heavy energetic experience when you're truly connected to the earth when you're grounded and your feet are touching the ground and you feel surges through your body i, I know a lot of people haven't experienced this because we're working so hard to just get on through our daily lives. And I think that's a part of the indoctrination that we're involved in. But I live, I'm lucky to have lived a life that I have a lot of freedom and I do a lot of just being very, very close to nature in the woods. And I've had a lot of experiences standing on big boulders and rocks barefoot and having 
surges of, of energy coming through my body and connecting upwards. And I think there's a connection between spires that are built on these cathedrals, which are cathodes, which is alchemical, the grounder, the grounding cord, the grounding negative charge that you get from the positive charge, which is floating electrons and moving electronic particles need a negative charge. And that's what cathodes are, right? Cathodes are grounded and they basically catch electrons, positive charge, and they put it through the ground that gets dispersed. And then it kind of repeats like that. That's the basic kind of understanding of electricity and energy. You have to have the polarity um, and the hermetic sense. It's masculine to feminine. There's always, there's always the two um, that equals the three. You have the positive and negative charge that equals energy. Okay. Sorry, that was a rant, and it's not very concise or scripted, but just trying to give you guys a lens of where I'm coming at with this. So from crowns of coronet, this is symbolic conductive materials, crowns being found in the Bible. In Ezekiel, he put a jewel upon thy nose and earrings in thine ears and a crown of adornment upon thine head. The subject here of is the setting up of the church, a jewel upon the nose denotes the perception of good. Earrings in the ears denote the perception of truth and obedience. A crown upon the head denotes the wisdom thence derived. In Job, he hath stripped me of my glory and taken thy crown off my head. Job 19.9, where glory denotes the intelligence of which is divine truth, the crown of the head denotes wisdom, thence derived. In the apocalypse, upon the thrones I saw four and twenty elders, clothed in white garments, who had upon their heads golden crowns. They fell down before him that was sitting upon the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne. The throne and or the four and twenty elders signify all of those who are good from truths and the abstract sense of all goods from truths. The thrones denote truths from the divine, the golden crowns on their heads, representatives of wisdom from the divine. And because of this is from the divine, therefore they cast them before he was sitting on the throne. And the reason I put that in there is just to kind of like give just a little bit of sense of crowns and jewels doesn't really necessarily fit in there that well royal crowns lost in history but found in documents we have a uh, list of historical important crowns to cambodia that got lost in 1970 and in france a over 20 royal crowns were said to be destroyed in 1793 here we have this see symbolizing it looks a lot like spires it almost looks like a building He's got gold everywhere. He's even got a staff to connect his grounding energy, his cathode. He's got like a pagoda hat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these things are ridiculous. I mean, these are, these are, these symbolize architecture, in my opinion, you know? And another theory and thing I'm working on is that we are cathodes. We are cathodes and we collect the energy as we ground to the earth. So we are 
the architecture as well. We are symbolized in architecture and the cross. The cross is on a lot of these, which in my opinion is a symboliz symbolization of the human and it has to do with the energetic point. You have, you know, your head right at the top, the feet, the bottom, and the, the arms and the limbs on out. But your, your centrifugal energy point is your heart chakra, your heart, which is your center, which is the center of the cross, which is you know, in, in an alchemical sense is the energy after you take all of these points together, create it and connect it to a grounding cord. And you have the energy in the middle point of that, which is why you see crosses on the, on the tops of these crowns to shoot the energy or connect it and redistribute it or, or on top of the staffs and such. This is really cool. This is the Albanian crown, the Albanian helmet. Skanderberg's helmet was made of white metal adorned with a strip dressed in gold and on its top lies the head of a horned goat made of bronze, also dressed in gold. And the bottom part bears a copper strip adorned with a monogram, separated by different rosettes. The detail to go into that, the weight of that has to be at least five pounds, <laughs> the minimum. Okay, here we go. Another crown. There's so many guys, like I couldn't. I couldn't really pull this up. Here's one from Sweden. Kind of looks janky. Not surprised. Ukrainian crown. Wow, look at that pixelated goodness there. Oh, this is Ukrainian flower headdresses, which I thought were just beautiful. I thought I'd throw those in there. These women are beautiful. This is a beautiful culture. Uh, Portuguese crown, right? You have an owl up there steeple this all represents energy coming down to your crown chakra which is the thinnest veil your root chakra is one of the hardest kind of veils of energy but your crown chakra why it's so easily penetratable for uh emf waves to get in there right for all you real tinfoil hat wearers out there they want to call you a tinfoil tinfoil hat wearer when in reality the royals were wearing metal hats so good on you right let's see i love that here we go another <laughs> one is another crown that's absolutely beautiful in nepal certain crowns possess an esoteric power a power when held in the hands or worn on the head of the initiated tantric priest such objects are potent symbols of esoteric buddhism of nepal and enshrine the status of tantric specialist in nepalese buddhist society the act of wearing such a crown plays an essential role in the construction and visual manifestation of power there you go. And here we go. Nepalese crowns. You have a Nepalese, Nepalesian scepter here. And this guy, does he look like a, an elitist or an elite at the time? Or does he look like he is a healer? Right? He's got his conductive material here. He's got the bell, which is found in Indian. I don't know what we call these tools. You got a beautiful crown from Mexico and scepter. All gold. From India, right? Look at that. Right here, the third eye, you got the jewel right here. The uh, blue represents the higher chakra points. Look at that. 
That's fucking amazing. And they got, looks like a snake or something here, which is kind of looks like the, uh, the Egyptian. Oh, here we go. The dead. This is one of the three, you know, call them crowns, but they just look more like headdresses. They didn't say they were made of conductive material, but they do symbolize a snake coming out, Kundalini, Kundalini snake energy coming out of the, what we call the third gland or, or the pineal gland, the third eye. And the Deshret was the red crown of the lower regions of Egypt. Then you have the Hejet, which is the white crown of the upper regions of Egypt, right? You have conductive material on the base. And, you know, there's symbolism in here. I don't know what that is. That's, I, I don't, I, I'm not a, I, I don't study Egyptian, you know, deep Egyptian mythology. But if anyone has any information why there's this here, I'm sure there's a reason. And, and it could be, you know, long, longer heads, you know, people speculate all of that stuff and, uh, you know, the, what have you, and Anaki, so on and so forth. And then you had the merging of the headshet and the deshret to make the shent, which is that both of these combine to symbolize the unity of Egypt, which sounds like indoctrination potentially. Well, to me, you know, real quick, I'll jump in. It sounds like hermeticism and the principle of duality, you know, both genders. I mean, one of those looked more like a phallus shape and the other one looked like it was receiving the phallus when the two hats came together. So you can also read that as like maybe two genders or something. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, yeah, I mean, this is, this is absolutely phallic. This is feminine looking. It has a tendril even. And, 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 the and as a just, plant, as a plant expert, you know that that is a aspect in plant sexuality, right? Like, can you Absolutely. elaborate on that? Because I mean, outwardly, people might not associate that with a feminine symbol if they weren't so familiar with botany. Well, depending on the the specific plant, you know, you have the pine tree, which the cone is the female seed that gets pollinated from the catkin pollen, and so the the call the the catkin looks phallic, and the seed has its you know it's got its feminine shape and beauty. Tendrils, I don't know if necessarily tendrils are a feminine um, quality on plant but i do know that pistols and and the and the cups like yeah there being specific pistols in the male plants and the cups like the, the, mm. the definition of the of the flower itself and the plant, the plant world is so amazing i i am not a botanist by any means it is incredibly interesting <laughs> well to me. i'm sorry and, to confuse the <laughs> confuse the listeners because maybe i was off i'm thinking pistols were somehow <laughs> feminine but now as you say that it sounds silly i mean they obviously are are penises flower penises yeah yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly but then you know you have like then a lot of times those will create pollen but then the other pistols or whatever you call them the feminine part will have something that's to catch the pollen so you know and some of them are self-pollinating a lot of flowers are self-pollinating too so they'll have both within them their own their own body huh? but tendrils themselves are used to kind of like you'll see it on certain plants that are crawling up like viney plants they'll grow a tendril slowly until it touches something and then it slowly curls and pulls it closer and then that's how it grows is through the tendrils so this tendril could represent you know an extension of consciousness to connect to the next level of ascension or whatever i mean the egyptians were heading yeah. into ascension you know, they're heavily into ascension. I think that's a great um, interpretation. 
Sweet. Okay, so we're off of crowns, and we're on to the next subject, friends. Uh, we have sept from scepters and swords and the globus cruciger to phones, guns, and tar our toxicified auras. And so in this, we're going to go into kind of the same thing, but you have to have all these these different things to strengthen your aura. And, you know, you call it the holy trinity a lot of times, right? You know, the Father, Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whatever, it's different and everything. But to me, in this opinion, we're going to call the holy trinity being a scepter, a globus cruciger, and a crown. That's the, that's the holy trinity of energy for this antiquated transhumanism. And you'll see it time and time again in a lot of these photos you have. They're wearing a, a majestic crown. They're holding a scepter in the left hand, and they're holding a globus cruciger in the right hand. More that might be vice versa. Don't correct me, anybody. I don't, you know, I don't really care. It's pretty easy to look up. But those are the three that they're holding. And, and what that would do and what a lot of crystal energy does too is, is it actually can strengthen your aura, can extend it, can allow you to have different like psychic abilities and that's what a lot of these royals and elitists were into they they want to have as much psychic ability and connection to the cosmos and the uh, collective consciousness as possible because that the more of these conductive materials you have you know obviously it symbolizes riches and royalism but it also symbolizes the connection closer to the gods and the God realm and the collective consciousness and to the plasma and to the universe and meditation and the depth and depth and depth of the creative, the creative energy, right? To just be as tantric and as possible. And so you have to have tools to do. And so why I put also that, you know, from scepters and swords and the globus cruciger to phones and guns in our toxicified auras is because it's the opposite. Just like I did, you know, the other one was from crowns to whatever. It's the opposite. Now we have phones, which are basically sucking in our energy guns, which kill people's energy and are toxic just to be around a lot oftentimes. And then our toxicified auras, all of the heavy metals that were being protruded upon, you know, when I, I'm a big into bathing too, and I want to do a big ancient bathing series because a lot of these ancient cultures, they also were huge on soaking, right? And a huge part of alchemy and understanding electricity is you can't get an electric charge through water until you add salt to it. And then it becomes a solution in which electricity can travel through. And so when you put negatively charged heavy metal softeners in the water to, you know, make it not smell like sulfur, which is actually great for your skin. And I granted, I understand the reasons for cleaning up water as they're running through the city water. You know, they're reusing it, recycling it from people's sewage water and gray water. And they get all the water from wherever and they put it in a big thing. They add all the softeners. They do whatever. You talk to anybody at your local water plant, they're not allowed to tell you what they put in it because they sign NDAs often, depending on the county or wherever you, wherever you are. But it's also hard to get in hold of those people because they don't hire a lot of people to work at the water treatment plant, right? It's it's tough. But when you add, uh, you can counterbalance that. This is a tip for everybody, by the way. Uh, if you live in a heavy fluoridated water area, uh, a way to counterbalance the negative toxins within the city water is to actually add Epsom salt and magnesium, and it'll help kind of just 
balance out. I'm not going to say it's going to make it healthy because it will never be truly healthy because it's just not going to be that way. Our skin is a beautiful organ that soaks up so much more than we conceptualize. You know, we, it's like, we're like plants We're we have sensitive skin, just like the cell walls of a plant. You know, we're not like trees. We, I mean, we're, we're durable as fuck. I mean, don't get me wrong, but you know, we're also soft. Right. And so, do salt baths, everybody. The ancients were doing it. They would build these giant baths. There was a place called Magnesia in Greece. Magnesia is where the term magnesium comes from. Epsom is in England. It's an old bathing town in England. And they had limestone baths. And they were heavily, heavily attracted to the bathing, right? It was a whole culture. And it's something else that strengthens our spirit and our consciousness. So, in ancient Egypt, the scepter symbolized power, independence, and sovereignty. And amongst the Etruscans, or Etruscans, scepters are great magnificence were used by kings and of upper orders and priesthoods of many uh, and priesthoods. Many of these scepters and interpretations exist at the Vatican, the Louvre, the British Museum, and are all made of gold. And they're all made of gold, most elaborately and minutely ornamented. And they're all being held at the Lou, the Vatican, and <laughs> the British Museum. So, you, you know, do with that information what you will. Here's a beautiful scepter on a terrible image. I'm sorry, everybody, but just you can just look at that, hold that, and feel the energy. Here's a the top of a scepter, pure diamond-plated scepter from Russia. Here we have, like I said, the Holy Trinity. Um, this is from Russia too. This is a scepter, the globe, the globe and cross, and a crown, just glittered in diamonds. Here we go. More scepters, crowns, and the globe and cross. Staff is probably the oldest symbol of power. Its origins trace back to the shepherds and the holy men's staffs, which would symbolize a shepherd's power over his herd and a priest's power over his parish, respectively so. The staff was also used by high-ranking priests in many different religions. The staff in a monarch's hand would symbolize the trunk of the tree of life, connecting heaven and earth. And so what that means is the symbolization of being able to connect to the grounding energy of earth, right? To be able to manipulate and move magic and, and magic, in my opinion, is the movement of energy and, and, and the condensement and movement of energy. And so you have to have a grounding cord for that. If you're wearing shoes or you're wearing some sort of insulator on your feet and your feet are the grounding cords of the body cathode system, an energetic electrical system, then a staff with conductive materials would be your grounding cord, allowing you to be able to connect and to the ether energy by having a grounding cord. And so I'm going to show some, uh, this is the Chinese Rui scepter. So they were doing this, you know, obviously in the East, this isn't just a, uh, a monarchy of the oligarchy. Indian Vajra and Bell, I showed this earlier from the Nepalese uh, slide. A lot of the ancient Eastern cultures used, used their strong belief in resonance with their rituals. And the bell represents feminine energy and the vajra being masculine to symbolize the alchemical relations in unity. And they would use these in their rituals because something else about these cultures, we call it resonance architecture, not only, not only because it resonates 
ether electric energy, but also because oftentimes they were built with massive pipe organs inside and they were built with bell towers and they would actually have acoustic resonance that you can't get in the nicest music studios to date, right? The reverb would literally reverberate off of your soul. You can feel the energy in cathedrals. Cathode rules. Here's a Yoruba. Wow. And for folks just listening to this, please go to the Patreon or the Rockfin and, and check this out. We are streaming live for free on Rockfin. And once the stream is over, it goes behind the paywall. So please support on Rockfin and, uh, and get a hold of all these really awesome visuals that Roman took a lot of time out of his life to put together for us to learn here today. I'm blown away. I'm sorry I'm not adding more to it, but you're you're laying out a lot and it's fitting into a lot of what I've been researching in the past few days. So I'm excited for my turn, but keep going, brother. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, this is a really cool ceremonial sword from Sri Lanka. Okay, and now we're off of the swords because honestly, I could put so many photos on there. I was kind of, I was rushing myself a little bit. So I was a little nervous and like trying to find nice pictures is kind of hard. So I want to be able to tighten this up and do cleaner pictures so we could do this again sometime. From cathodes to wired cubicles, resonance architecture. Okay, this is classic Russian architecture. And so what I was talking about earlier, okay, so these are the spires, right? And, and some of those Eastern crowns really look like this, like the Cambodian crowns. And a lot of the crowns, they, they represent and look a lot like how they build the top of these buildings. And the cross, I think, and I'm just going to lightly touch on this because I, you know, I, I think we can go deeper in on this, but the cross was stolen during the the holy roman empire era the 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 christian takeover the monotheistic takeover to basically give it less of an energetic alchemical meaning and more of a specific religious meaning because it doesn't necessarily does it, all of these represent jesus dying on the cross or is there a deeper meaning to this energetic symbol yeah, that is, that is interesting to point out. For those just listening, I mean, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and maybe 12 if we look on the other side. 12 almost invisible crosses on this building. And to your point, is one enough? <laughs> Isn't one enough? Why does there have to be one on each a spear, a spire if it's purely symbolic? I mean, there is only one Christ. This doesn't seem to bring that to mind. If anything, it suggests multiple Christs and multiple crucifixions, right? And I don't, I don't think that matches anything that they're teaching in that building. So, yeah, it's 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 very strange. The the number of crosses on some of these buildings. And like you look at what's underneath each cross, it has to be this orb. It has to be this True. specific shape underneath each one, which kind of ties in more to the resonance architecture understanding of it. So it's like they each have the cross, the spire, they have a little ball, they have a, another antenna underneath that, which then breaks down into a bigger one. And this is in Russia. 
Here's more Russian, right? God, it's so pretty. <laughs> it's so beautiful. We don't build anything like this anymore. So that says 1903 on it. Well, you know, and to that point, you hear that a lot. And I think there's multiple factors there. I mean, there's the whole communistic, corporate, fascist type of architecture that people say, like, oh, this is brutalist architecture. It's like, you know, intended to make you feel obsolete and bleak. And, and yeah, to your point, it seemed like architecture had so much more potency in these days when these buildings were built. I, and purpose, potency and purpose. It's, it's, yeah, it's baffling to me because I was listening to, I think it was on Crow 777, but just talking about how we went from building, you know, our architectural style went from kind of building, you know, beautiful masonry, even from the time of masonry, which granted is, you know, expensive and, and a lot less like able to tap into a market because trees, you know, are, are sustainable. Like I, I, I also don't get it. And plus I love wood, so I don't mind living in a, in a wood structure. But, you know, because we're just we're just grateful to have anything at this point. Right. So this slide is uh, it kind of shows the energetic breakdown of how these buildings may have worked with the resonator and antenna and another resonator. And apparently red mercury and this contains a frequency amplifier, which would be really interesting. I have zero proof on that. This is something I found. Okay, so here we are with another magnificent uh, cathedral. And the common theme you'll always see in these cathedrals is two, cath two big spires and three entranceways. And just for scale, right, you see this, this guy is probably like a 5 foot 11 dude, right, average. And the, if you these are one, two, three, four, so 20 foot tall buildings <laughs> or doors, it just a beautiful beautiful but a common theme you will see when you guys start looking this up is two spires three doors massive massive and you know all of the orbs that we were seeing before with that shape they could be all in here the inside of this which we'll never really be able to be allowed in there unless we go in there ourselves and look what's inside of this roof could be all coil. It could be all just copper gold coil all the way down. Orbs, crosses. See, these hold no significance of electricity energy over here, but this does. So is this the energy collector and then it distributes to these other buildings? What, they have lampposts here? I don't see any wires on that lamppost. Right? It could also be, you know, candle lit, right? You have, obviously, an energy collector here. Potentially here. This looks like a bell tower with also a, a cross on top and a spire. And these, which may just be used for collecting and redistributing through the walls. Boom. See, that's a nice photo. They're hard to find when they're crisp, clean photos. Okay. Okay. Sorry, guys. So that was that. This is it on those. I, there's so many fucking cathedrals, hospitals, prisons, asylums, museums, mansions, castles that are all like this. And there's millions of them. 
there, there was, okay, I, I'm not going to say that. There's hundreds of thousands for sure. And I think, you know, we talk a lot and now we're going to tap a little bit into mud flood real quick. I think that specifically the generator and during a cataclysmic time, whether or not it's war, whether or not it was something cataclysmic via nature, a lot of buildings have been destroyed over time, but there's also been some that have been kept up for longer than we could really fathom. And I think specifically generators and buildings of extreme purpose were kept around until they basically understood the energy or, or, or until the harnessing and diagnostics were finished. And I don't know, what if, what, like I said this earlier, what if the mud flood was a dawning of a new discovery in science, say the understanding of physics and computing being born, or even better, the access to the, the multiverse and in tune with astrological calendar predictions and understandings, the mud flood kind of fits. It, it fits to make history seem muddy and less involved with being evolved. And the poorer and dirtier they make our civilization seem, the easier it is to control the current narrative. I agree. And so I want to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you guys real quick about something else. This will kind of help tie it all in. And I had to look up what this was because I found this article and it is so ridiculously covered in science slop. The words, they go just have really, really, really uh, big words in there. So I tried to get layman's terms as much as possible and find sites and articles that I could break down what LSPR is, local surface plasmin resonance. And so for this, you might know what this is. This is a, an old cup. Okay. This is the cup without light in it. And this is the cup with light in it. And now I need to go to the site real quick. That's called the Lycurgus cup. Wow. Um, Wait, so going to hold on. Hit us with yes. that huge word again at the beginning of that slide. What what did you just call it? LSPR. And how does that connect to what you're showing me right now? Because you, you have a cup and it's lit up in one side and then on the other side, yep. I don't know, off or maybe there's not a candle burning inside of it, but... Let me tell you, because this is deep science, that this right here explains ancient technology with nano metals and nanoparticles and how we used and just to kind of deep and give you guys a modern science breakdown of what was happening on the science level back in the day with resonance architecture and these these civilizations so we're going to give an introduction to nanomedicine and the lspr paradigm so step into a medieval cathedral and admire the deep ruby reds found in the stained glass window and you could be witnessing an early application of gold nanoparticles the spectacularly dichroic lycurgus cup is a still earlier example probably dating back to the fourth century of rome and the artisans responsible for these works were not aware supposedly in the mainstream narrative, not aware that they were using gold nanoparticles to produce ruby glass, but this is exactly what they were doing in adding a small amount of chemically treated gold to the glass. 
The striking difference in color between bulk gold and gold nanoparticles is testimony to the dramatic change in material properties. The color change is due to systematic shift to lower energy of the plasmin resonance of gold nanoparticles. As the particle size decreases, the property has resulted in gold nanoparticles being used as visible in near-infrared diagnostics in the rapidly emerging field of nanomedicine. And another property leading to the adoption of gold nanoparticles and medicine life science applications is the biocompatibility and the relation related historical use in treating rheumatoid arthritis. Chemically speaking, gold nanoparticles are very versatile with a range of functionalizing strategies available. And these strategies are important since they involve the addition of biologically active groups to confer specific biological functions to the nanoparticles. Table 3.1 shows the results of searches using the Google Scholar illustrates of gold nanoparticles to medicine. So that's kind of, that's the like Curtis cup. There's another uh, serped over here. You see, they got that glass, right? They go into the nanoparticles and the plasmin resonance used in making all of the stained glass. So nanoscience and nanotechnology, nano in history. An extraordinary work with glass made by the Romans in the 5th century AD demonstrates one of the greatest examples of nanotechnology in the ancient world. The Lycurgus Cup, which is part of a collection of the British Museum, shows King Lycurgus being dragged into the underworld by ambrosia. Surprisingly, when lit, outside the cup looks green, but when lit inside from the cup looks reddish and King Lycurgus looks purple. That had to have been done on purpose. It's so specific to where the purple shines. The explanation for this phenomenon was obtained only in 1990 after scientists analyzed the cup atomic force microscope. It was found that the dichroism, two colors, is observed due to the presence of nanoparticles silver, gold, and copper, up to 100 nanometers in size, dispersed in a glass matrix. The red color observed is a result of absorption of light by the goggles. The purple color results due to the absorption by the larger particles, while the green color is attributed to the light scattering by colloidal dispersions of silver particles. The colloidal just means metal kind of like leached off into a liquid or another substance. It doesn't have to be liquid, but it most commonly is. The Lycurgus cup is recognized as one of the oldest synthetic nanocomposites. Besides the Robins, medieval artisans also explored the effect on addition of medical particles and glass to create stained glass windows. The shows of how gold and silver nanoparticles, different sizes were applied to stained glass windows. Okay, boom. Okay, and we're going to go, and oh, stained glass was also produced in Chinese ancient culture, and porcelain was also fabricated in gold nanoparticles with sizes the range of 20 to 60 nanomar uh, nanomolecules. The use of gold had been extended even to the eras, areas of medieval medicine, and work in this uh, area was published by Hans Harker in 1718. Alchemists had knowledge of colloidal dispersions and potential applications. However, they did not have a quote-unquote science-based explanations for the observed phenomena and did not follow rigorous experimental methods. So we're going to get back to the slide because then I just have the slide. Oh, it's right here. And then, okay, bar thing, go away. How, how does this move? Get out of here. Here we are. Hey. 
that's Sweet Lord, get really out. strange looking. And yeah, I've heard about this. We were talking about something similar in the first episode of the Elemental Philosophorum. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see so many examples of what seems like high technology in an ancient setting. It really makes you wonder, you know, this myth of progress that we're in the most, uh, you know, technologically advanced point in human history right now. I don't know. I think that more and more we find things like this that give us evidence to say otherwise. And yeah, this stained glass, I mean, is really spectacular. But back on track, brother, let's keep moving along here. Look at this place, dude. Yeah. Wow. Like... Like, so if if what they're saying about LSPR and the refractory of light hitting it, and basically this would be a major resonance zone. This is another piece of resonance architecture, and that's why I brought LSPR into it in that article, is because these weren't just resonating, you know, ether energy. They were resonating life force energy through using these specific beautiful conductive metals in the glass and in everything and so everything's resonating with energy okay this is strange i put this in here i don't know help me with this one because we need to keep going all the way up to 10 right one state of consciousness two alchemical energy positive and negative three cosmic connections to sun moon and earth states of matter Solid, liquid, gas, plasma. Five elements, air, water, fire, ether. Seven chakras. So we do seven chakras when it comes to that. It's a terrible, it's so beautiful. And obviously the number seven, I think every number has its importance. But look at this, this is all hermetic. Seven hermetic principles. Ah, that's what it is. Maybe. Look at this hallway. Wow. That. Come on. Wow, Blasting we're looking at some DMT in here. Yeah, we're looking at the stained glass with like multicolor levels that you'd expect from like some EDM festival. I mean, these churches are and this could be, you know, edited this way with a computer's help, but I think the point is made that the, the stained glass is more than just decoration. It's, it's so much more than decoration. That's what they want to tell us with the crowns, the scepters, the ceremonial swords, the bells. Life has some meaning. Life has so much meaning. It, it's, it's so important. So things I want to dig deeper into that I didn't get to get into in this is another form of resonance architecture. Look at the floor plans of these cathedrals. They're in the shape of a cross. Right. I mean, now do you think to talk yet again about... Yeah, go ahead. Do you think that has to do with, like, the microcosm, macrocosm? Like, they're... Because, I mean, yes, it's a cross, but it also could be interpreted as, like, a human body with the sort of rounded edge being the head, you know, the two arms, and then you have the feet yep. at the bottom. And you enter the building through the feet... And you, you know, the whole ceremony takes place at the head of the oh, building, yeah. you know, and then there's the two wings where the priests go, you know. 
Yeah, exactly. See, that's that's the level of depth these people are thinking in when they construct these things. That level of depth. Come on. You know, we it's hard enough for us to build a, a lean-to out in the woods, right? Like, with no training, just be like, oh, shit, I have some plywood and this. I need to survive, right, to put to go to this level. Oh, man, it's beautiful. And, yeah, like, I, I, think, I think you're right. Like, and I don't mean necessarily cross, like, you know, Christian cross. That was the whole thing. I think that's a facade. I think that whole mythos is a facade. I think it's an energetic symbol that we have been suppressed on knowing. Wow. And so something else too. Oh, so these are pipe organs. We're getting into the pipe organs, yo. Oh, something else to do really quick. So on uh goodness over darkness podcast with a Emmanuel, you know, he, he talks about the, the cross being a cube and that blew my mind the first time I heard about it, right? It could be folded up into a cube, but then I th- thought about well if you take out the bottom segment of the cross okay let me go back here if you were to take out this quadrant down here right and you had equal segments kind of think of like a plus sign or equal all the way around okay you would have a cross symbol but if you were to take the centrifuge center point and pull it up, you would not have a, a cube, but you'd have a pyramid. Right. So think about each part of the cross. Instead of folding up perfectly into a cube, think about the centrifuge energy point in the middle that extends like the toroid, as they call it. Okay. And that the meat and it pulls up there. So the stronger the energy, the bigger the toroid feel. So that's what pulls it up and gives it the conical pyramid shape. Right. Bell towers and pipe organs. Okay, these are fucking fascinating. They're found all over the world. This is in China. China. <laughs> okay, this is obviously stock photo from somewhere. Beautiful. Beautiful. Potentially computer image. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Look at these pipe organs, dude. Look at that. Wow. Now those look modern, though. I mean, come on. Where are these from? <laughs> that looks like some Star Trek shit. Wow, okay. That looks old. I don't mean... Just based on no knowledge whatsoever, just visual, it's impressive. Well, you know why they call them organs? Why is that? Because Tell us. they would resonate at the solfeggio scale. Mm. Um, so let me tell you guys something about, I'm a musician and frequency is very important, right? Because when you tune your instrument, you're tuning to a certain frequency and unanimously, just like we have come to one Gregorian calendar cycle, one alphabet, one numerical system. Guess what? We have a standard tuning system. What is the frequency of that? 440 hertz was changed to 440 hertz by the Rockefeller Foundation back in the 50s, or was it the 40s, sorry, from 432, which is a known healing binaural resonance, solfeggio resonance, it was changed. And the second that you change a resonance in a frequency, if we're frequency beings and energy is not created nor destroyed, it's just manipulated and contorted, then that thus is 
starting the weakness that to make us weaker as a species. One of the many things is toxic, toxicify our auras and our, and our spirit. Right. Um, when I say we're like spirit and stuff and God, I'm, I'm not a Christian, everybody just so that, you know, I know that off puts a lot of people, but yeah, just to kind of give you like a little history and background, it was literally changed. The standard tuning was changed from 432 to 440. And so how that resonates with these organs, organs, are meant to heal. That's why these these places were resonant buildings. It would resonate the acoustics of these pipe organs so well that people would feel the specific resonant of healing, whatever it may be. And so these were places of worship, right? Places of of beyond spiritual connection that we can fat this day in current age. And I will say that we can't fathom it because we are not connected spiritually like they used to be back in the day. And that's why we are the way we are. And that's why they are the way they were. And I'm not saying it's our fault, but it's the fault of the people that we so-called leaders. And I think it went from a place of feudalism to federalism and that, you know, it's basically, it's the same thing, right? There's always been an occultism and esoteric, stuff this is the last slide every pipe organs and bells i want to get more into and that's it so that's what we got beautiful i love it really cool all right brother well i got a lot to respond i mean i like the way you laid out resonance architecture and ended with like the musical side of things and how the architecture and even the stained glass might be playing into this overall energy field that they're creating you know they're tuning all of these things you know the building itself is an instrument and you know taking it back to when you talked about the globe the scepter and the crown that reminded me of something i just read i finished this book this weekend latitude 33 key to the kingdom walter bosley and uh, Ooh, he, nice. he he talks about a lot of things I want to get into when it comes to my side of the presentation, but we'll respond first here. You brought up the scepter, the globe, and the, the, sorry, the crown, right? And I thought that was fascinating, the crown yes. part, because it would make so much sense. And please spark that up. I don't know what you're waiting for. But the, the presentation <laughs> I well, thank you. Very, very, very professional. So anyways, the crown, you know, I didn't think about that. The crown being like this, you know, object that you put on your head and now this energy field that's just, you know, alive inside of this building, you're way more in tuned with it and possibly even conducting it. So here's, here's what I thought of when, when you read that. So this is coming from Walter Bosley's book, folks, and it's actually coming from even further, he's referencing this book that I also have, a very cool book uh, called Free, Eng uh, Free Energy Pioneer. So, let's see. In 1881, Keeley demonstrated a device that involved water and sound and rotation to produce energy. Among his other experiments was one in which a volunteer would stand in a circle while other participants drew bows across tuning forks and a sphere across the room would begin to rotate when the volunteer stepped out of the circle the sphere stopped then resumed when the volunteer stepped back inside the circle 
Whatever Keeley was demonstrating with this, it appears to have something to do with energy traveling a distance and interacting with another object. More interestingly, the effect on that other object is dependent upon the human volunteer being in a particular spot and the movement of the round object beginning to rotate or spin. So, I mean, wow, this is implicated with, you know, what you said. If you, if you take that into account, I mean, they're creating this energy field in these buildings that are, as you showed in those last slides, sort of macrocosmically representative of the human body itself. They're taking all of this energy and conducting it through the crown the globe and the scepter. I mean, it's really fascinating, man. What are your thoughts on that? Well, like it kind of, to me, you know, makes a lot of sense because, you know, we think about Atlantean culture and Stonehenge and things like that. The circles, stone circles, the shape is very important. So if we were to take our energetic selves with our energetic tools, stand in a circle and specifically do, you know, what I guess you would consider a either seance or spell or practice or what ceremony. Have you. Ceremony. That's the the one word I could have used to do that. That's funny. But yeah, no, I 100%. And, it, you know, it's just another part of the indoctrination that we've been misled that magic is magic. And it's nothing more than that. Magic isn't real because magic's magic and magic isn't real on a mainstream. And so, but then you look at how our ancients lived and you want to tell me that, and magic, in my opinion, and just on the layman's term is movement of energy. And what were they doing in that text? Moving energy. Like we can do that. And we do do that. Exactly. We need to do it right. Exactly. So, I mean, this is, this is so much in line with what I thought I would bring to the table. So, on the phone, and before I get to that, what you just talked about, about the stones being placed in certain areas, that is key to this whole thing. And I know people, you know, think of ley lines, ley lines, ley lines. I don't know if I'm going to go with that term, ley lines. I think the better specific term is like a geomagnetic or geomantic corridor, as uh, Peter Shampoo calls it in his book, the Arcom, sorry, the Gaia Matrix. And that was a great interview. If folks haven't listened to that yet, please go back and listen to the Peter Shampoo interview. It was a fantastic conversation. One 108, actually. And then, yeah. So nice. he talks about how this grid is on the planet, and it's not just like the longitude and latitude lines that we see on the map. It's it's Some of them are circular, and a lot, in most cases, there are either landscape features like mountains or valleys or rivers, or there are man-made structures and even megalithic structures that sort of create the outer edges of the circle. So the circle goes through these points. So you can plot this circle with these points, potentially. That, to me, is absolutely fascinating so I think that needs to be considered is that these buildings are being placed in spots that already have a very high energy. Like when you're talking about the baths, that's a great point. You know, Peter also mentioned that limestone 
is a big indicator of an ancient civilization in the sense that like more yes more often than not there will be these ancient cities built near limestone and again indicator of some sort of energy of limestone right that too so but the bath part is really fascinating people should look up the tepidariums i think is what they called them in rome they had these like underground baths that they would go into and and carve them out and the ley lines themselves or again geomantic geomantic corridors Walter, in his book, he he references this guy named Shesh Hari, who talks about how the stress of the planet kind of turning in on itself from the North Pole to the South Pole. It kind of like the way like if you stabbed a basketball on both ends and then like pulled the skin inside out, but maintain the shape of the globe, you know, eventually that layer that was the outside layer would go all the way and become the inside layer of the basketball and then you can flip it around again right so this process is happening according to some theorists to the earth through, through a toroid field right if, right uh, if the earth is toroidal exactly uh, or beautiful, beautiful icosahedral and there are certain points where concentrations of mass accumulate these are called mass cons and that's where certain points of the earth where this energy has created like a line over time. You know, it's hard to explain because I haven't fully visualized it myself, but what it seems to be, if you're subscribing to this model of the earth, seems like the, the earth is is creating these lines and there's like a stress of energy. And it's not, so my point being, it's not necessarily like a straight line always, but in this case, that Walter gets into with the 33rd parallel connecting to Disneyland, he points out that the carousel and original Disney world in Anaheim, California was like a rotational spinning device that channeled that energy underneath where these three ley lines intersect and that created it, it spread it out, basically created an aura. And here, let me share my screen and show you guys this picture of Disney World because when you see it from the air, let me find the right one. When you see it from the air, hold on a second, folks, you can start to understand how this bubble might be created. So, what we have here is, and can you see my mouse moving around? Yes. So, yes, we have beautiful. the the ferris wheel or i'm so sorry this the is ca- disneyland here this Th- is disneyland this is i think it's is it disney world or land i don't i always get them confused but the disney one in World's california in disneyland is in so, yeah yeah so, so this is disneyland and this spot in the center or this spot over here i'm not quite sure which one it is but either way there's a carousel that is aligned with this ley line and as the energy accumulates underneath it when the carousel's moving it rotates that energy and spreads it out and this barrier that you see here it's kind of like a raised area of land and uh, walter uses the proper term for it i don't remember off the top of my head but this land mass here helps accumulate that energy 
push it upwards and creating this sort of aura around the park. Very sus. Yeah. Very sus. And what's I mean, interesting look at the shape too. It's it's a triangle shape. It is kind of triangular. It's like a force field up and around, like almost like a pyramid force field could be fucking made out of that centrifuge part. Yeah, it it is interesting. It's not quite, I mean, I almost think of it more of as as a pentagonal type of shape, but you could also maybe see it as a a six-sided shape. If you took the curves away, there would be sort of six sides to this uh, shape. But yeah, it's not like a perfect oval. It's sort of a polygon, and it has a sort of triangular shape feature to it but i don't know it's it's interesting to to consider you know with what you said about the crown scepter and these elements being made of the right material to conduct energy electricity right and even magnetism electromagnetism possibly is involved with this you know i'm not again i'm not a physicist folks but from what i understand with the electric universe i'm kind of extrapolating from there so i could be wrong more reason to look into it yourself like we're doing here today and this disneyland i think it's fascinating because it has the reputation for being the happiest place on earth and around 1982 mm. they move the fair or the carousel and re, you know replace it with the sword in the stone i don't know if it's like a it's just like a statue you know they just put it in the spot where the king arthur's carousel used to be right so it's very interesting that now after 1982 you see you know a lot of changes in disney you see like you know, some weird stuff start to happen later on. Now there's a really evil reputation that Disney has with the whole, you know, Disney yeah, Kids Club I thing. To, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, do you, in Walter's book, because I'm going to be 100% honest with you, Mark. This is something I'm incredibly interested in. The ley line part and energetic part of it, obviously, but like kind of just, I can't find any occultic information on Walt, but I know that motherfucker. People say he was a 32nd degree, but like, I think he was full, full on. He, I mean, his money and power full on 33rd. What, well, what, what do you got any info? On? I do. I don't want to give away the book. I think really this book's awesome. And he makes it clear in the beginning of the book, like, Hey, I am actually a fan of Disneyland. I enjoyed going there as a kid. So my intention is to not like, make disney you know to give them a bad reputation or anything like that he then goes on to be pretty transparent with what he found and you know you can trust this guy or not i don't know i mean it's up to you trust the author trust walt whoever you want to trust but to me the whole 33 degree club thing i think that comes from the 33rd parallel i think it possibly comes from this association with some sort of yes. strange <clears throat> effect. Cause you got to keep in mind, like Walt Disney himself, there is no record of him ever being a Freemason. He was part of like a, a group called the Demo Lay Society, which was like a boys club, but it wasn't officially Freemasonic and he never, you know, pursued it. And like, you know, for all intensive purposes, like just because you're a Freemason doesn't make you a bad person anyways, you know? So I'm not really in that persuasion of people who's like, uh Oh, Freemason red flag. You know, there's people who oh, I've had I, on the I, show I don't who don't to that necessarily either. 
Right. I've had people on the show. I mean, Darren Grimes, the Grimerica show, his, he, he joined the Freemason chapter in his area and then was like, you guys suck and left. <laughs> and those aren't his words. Those are my words. But, but yeah, like it, to me, when I hear that, that he was able to join and then leave and they weren't like coming after him. It's like, yeah, I, I honestly, I think it's case by case. So with Walt, no, there is no record of him being involved with that, but his team, right? This guy, C.V. Wood, Cornelius. Oh, that's right. The people he was associated with were all Freemasons, but he wasn't. Well, okay. So, no. I'm not going to even go classic, with that either. Classic story. No, no, no. Because that's not, <laughs> that's not where this is going. But I can see why you would think that. But, no, that's not where this is going. So, Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood maybe was a Freemason. I don't know. He was the head of a sort of like a psychic research type group whose name is escaping me. Again, more reason for people to pick up the copy of this book. But he was a member of the Stanford Research Institute, which is definitely a sketchy organization for some people. And and they invented, you know, satellite GPS and a bunch of other things that are used to help record and understand like the earth, right? So it would make sense that this guy C.V. Wood would know about the ley lines, right? They were studying that kind of thing at that time. And, and yeah, so he kind of... Oh, this is intentional, absolutely. He puts it that possibly like it was more C.V. Wood putting this together. And what happened is uh, C.V. ended up kind of like, I guess, be getting on Walt Disney's bad side because Walt didn't like that C.V. Wood was going around... And taking credit for being the main engineer of Disney World, right? Or Disneyland. He he didn't like that, you know, this guy was like, yeah, oh, yeah, I built Disneyland. It was all me because Walt you know, was very much uh, <laughs> totalitarian ideologically with the way he ran his his business, you know. And that that's a part of the book that he does get into it a little bit. It's like, yeah, he wasn't a good guy. But again, not really the point of this conversation, not really the point of my what research. Waltz. Oh, true, true. Okay. Do you see this though, my friend? Do you see what well, the way that the angle of the picture we're looking at? I see Mickey Mouse. Right. That could be that could be it. You too. got the ears? You got the yeah, a full, and I even see like the little cheeks down here. Like that's, I think Mickey's in that, and that's like Mickey's third eye almost, where that would be, because you see that little square triangle down there. It's like the nose, and then it goes up here, and those are the ears, and then obviously there would be. It's not the sh the cutout shape of it because it connects all the way, but it, you could fit Mickey in there. And then you think about the shape of Mickey is like three circles together, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. The symbol of three interlocking circles, like the Vesica Pisces with a third circle above it, that definitely comes to mind when you said that. But yeah. I, I definitely uh, didn't see any of that in the book. He doesn't really talk about the the Mickey Mouse at, at all, really. But anyway, so the... <laughs> Sorry, the super interesting topic, dude. I I would love to go deep into. This I mean, dude, you gotta definitely situation. gotta get the book. I mean, I'll send it to you if you're not gonna buy it yourself because I read it already. I like it, but you definitely gotta buy it yourself. Maybe we could get Walter on the show. I know he's still around and he has a YouTube channel. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, so this carousel not only possibly generated this energy 
but it was also encoded with all of these symbols that we are talking about when we look at these buildings, you know, and, and it might not be uh, as obvious when you look at like a building in a city as it is in like a, a park where things are designed to look a certain way anyways. Right. But, you know, look at the top of the, of the carousel there. You see this? Does that remind you of anything that, that you were showing us earlier? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So this definitely kind of reminds me of those spires that we see on the buildings. So that's curious. But beyond that, the whole King Arthur symbolism is very alchemical. You know, you have the the philosopher's stone, the sword, the wand, you know, or the the staff, like you mentioned, one of the oldest symbols and i think the last one is the grail the cup right i'm pretty sure or it's a cauldron it's a cauldron sorry so a eh, cauldron cup sort of probably the same going back to the same thing so <clears throat> either way you have this idea that our subconscious world is informed by the symbols we see in our daily life so when you look up at maybe a court building and you see these gods carved into the top edifice above the doorways, you know, above these pillars that, you know, come down and you walk through the pillars to get into the building. I mean, that's not just style, right? There is quite literally a conscious effect going on there. And I think it's important to point out that that might not be the same thing as what we're discussing here with the actual like tangible, maybe tangible is not the right word, but perceivable energy shift that some buildings can conduct. Whereas, yes, the symbolism here is is definitely exciting to the subconscious. When the carousel is spinning in motion, it becomes more of a device than let's say if this thing wasn't in motion or even more for the sake of our conversation if this carousel wasn't placed where it is on this three-way intersection of ley lines right so that all of those factors create this sort oh. of energy bubble and i think you know connecting it all back to what you were talking about with you know the crown i mean king arthur here's a very much crown symbolism here and this guy who was cv wood the guy who designed all of this he was a part of a foundation that was very much connected to carl jung and carl jung's work right and uh, all of these i think the group still exists and they you know they definitely Carl Young and the Go Go Getters, right? And and everything I just mentioned about like the unconscious, you know, and the symbolism, that's something that I think I mentioned before we talked here today, that I was going to bring in this book called Architecture, Mysticism, and Myth by William Letheby, and that's what he discusses is how yeah all of this architecture yes. has the same symbology in it, not because they're copying one another or merely because they're not like creative enough, but because they're sort of embodying these um, archetypes that have a very, very potent effect on our consciousness when we're in their presence. So I have the, the it's called the Mind Science Foundation. So that's what C.V. Wood was a chairman of. And uh, they were pioneering a uh, philosophy of a great psychologist who explored the effects of mythology, alchemy, astrology, and literature on human consciousness. 
right? So, and this guy was a designer by trade, and there were other designers who were part of this group. So it's it's obvious that people who are not just psychologists and and you know philosophers and and this sort of thing, they're actual craftsmen or people who are in charge of big projects building architecture interested in this type of work and i think it's for good reason you know there's a certain you oh, know the star-shaped hedges yeah yeah that too that's interesting kind of pointing out there huh? but i don't you know, know real quick before we skip off of the carousel i wanted to say i kind of had a little bit of a like a little download during that i i think back to some movies and i use a lot of movies you know you can use movies or your friend hopefully someday i'll, I'll be able to talk to this gent but michael wan does a lot of like cool movie breakdowns and stuff you know right. talking about symbolism and and all of that goodness and there's been a few movies that kind of symbolize like a carousel in a house or like a like a like a gear shifting like turning clockwise like that that energy right the 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 concept of just something turning so if there's energy getting extrapolated from it right and it's it, it that could be symbolic of like you know hey we're at a ley line electromagnetic hotspot we have this spire here this this antennae and then you spin it and you add motion to it through electricity that you're harnessing there if these houses and these old cathedrals in the basement or somewhere and the really advanced ones had some sort of carousel something or a crank or a, a gear or something so a centrifugal then thus would spin the energy out from that building to the other places in the town so if this was this could be like an interpretation of how an old style energy resonant energy culture would use it like kind of like Disneyland, how they're representing that energy being spread around town. Right. Right. Specifically the movie 13 ghost is that major one I'm talking about. You ever seen that movie? No. Tell me about it. Oh, it came out. It's like it has the guy from Scream and Scooby-Doo, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, Matthew Lillard. And that was like 2000, I don't know, super cheesy, but 2007 or something like that. And 13 Ghost. Basically, there's a lot of symbolism in there because it's like there was only supposed to be 12 ghosts. But then there's the 13th ghost in this house that's made of glass. And in the glass, like the all these doors shift. It's kind of like a maze that happens. And in a lot of horror movies, they'll tie in ancient symbolism into horror movies, like psychological thrillers, right? Because they're psychological and thrilling <laughs> and psychologically thrilling. And so, but then there's a 13th ghost, just like, you know, a fucus, right? The 13th, the the, thir the 13th supposed tribes of Israel, the 13th mm. astrological symbol, the 13th disciple or whatever. And then at the end of the movie, they break through the maze and in the, in the center of this house is like this, like kind of carousel gear building a gear spinning and powering this energy. And it's just, it's just that kind of carousel harnessing energy. And I think there is something to it. You know, I think it there's, it there's, but if we look hard enough, we will find that in more places. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the other thing that came to mind uh, when I was looking into this stuff was the bells, you know, and, and how bells are 
mentioned when you look at like possible propulsion devices, you know, a bell spinning and rotating, causing some sort of vibratory force. That's another yeah. thing that Walter gets into in uh, later yes. books that he writes. But, you know, the bell concept, I mean, you see the bell shape in a lot of those relics that you pointed out in the beginning. You see it in architecture. You can even maybe interpret some of those, you know, and I always fail on the, the proper term for this. I don't think it's spire. I think whatever we're looking at has a more proper name, the like bulb looking thing, like the upside down light bulb looking thing. But it very much uh -huh. is reminiscent yes. of a bell yes. in some ways, right? And or at least the shape, and possibly yes. that yeah. has something to do with the resonance a, of the, the the shape itself. I've heard that before, and there is, there is. We're not tapping into it, but we need to do deeper research on it because it's fascinating. The bell, there's a thing called like bell energy. There is a Bell Energy, and it goes, and there's a reason Bell Labs is named Bell Labs, you know, too. And and also, with the Bell Towers, most of the Bell Towers in all of these buildings have all been taken out. And and there's a symbolism within the crack of the Liberty Bell as well, right? If, if you know, America was surely potentially founded on symbolic and <laughs> strange ways than the, the story of the crack and the Liberty bell. And, you know, there being these architecture here, like I think removing bells had something to do with the potential mud flood situation as well. And I don't know, I I'm just speculating, but I really do think, I think that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, all a lot easier to understand when you have your head wrapped around this electric universe sort of model right and i still don't i'm still new to all this stuff but in a large way you know i think that's what we're looking at here we're looking at the architecture tapping into maybe qualities that are no longer present i mean I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel like these buildings have the same potency that they used to. Maybe a cataclysmic event changed the nature of our atmosphere. And now a lot of these buildings that were built, you know, pre 1700s, like you put it, maybe they were, maybe they were, you know, tuning into something that's no longer able to be tuned into. Thus why a lot of them got just demolished and scrapped. <laughs> <sighs> that's this that's that's the research that we are like we're in the thick of it everybody we're all in the How? thick of it right now because we got all everything around that part but we all know there was something but now we're just in the thick of like digging and trying to figure out what it is because it's so i mean to me in my life right now that's the most fascinating thing to think about what this supposed like mud flood was or is, you know, this event, even if it's a metaphorical flood, you know, this, that, the concept of this, some sort of switch in time. And I, I, I think we're going to get to it in the next couple of years. Honestly, I think, I think us doing this independent research that we're doing, I think we're really going to make some big discoveries. And so I, I'm just, I, I'm really glad that you know you're doing what you do, and we got a we got a tight community, man. It's 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 a beautiful thing.
Yeah, tell us about your show, brother. I mean, we're kind of coming to the two-hour mark here. I don't know if you got a a date or something. You got somewhere to be, but uh, tell us about your show. <laughs> I'm cruising. Yes, RFTA, Rising from the Ashes. Just the same same thing, different day, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it's been great. going to do next year. We're having it all each month will be topic based so it'll help us get more specified guests and then we can kind of go deeper down those routes so that's going to be fun but yeah man i'm just i'm like i said i'm just i'm just glad that we're all like this this has helped my life a lot it's helped my life you know making more friends like all like within the the realm of internet so it's kind of conflicting at times but I am grateful for the internet also as much as I love trees and nature and the earth way and reality way more. It's also, I, I, you know, I love it. It's, it's, it's a conundrum. Yeah. I, I have that dilemma every day, brother, because we are, yes, we are interacting with the technosphere here more than ever. And, you know, for those listening, you could be listening to these podcasts out in the middle of the woods somewhere. You can be driving in your car in a beautiful area, or you could be in the middle of the city and this is your escape, you know, escaping in your mind and your imagining. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a number of things you can do with the magic of podcasting. So I'm, I'm open to, you know, changing up my schedule, I think, so that I have more time to do what I love, which is being outside and connecting and, and following the synchronicities. And maybe the the solution to that is like doing something where like one month I interview a bunch of people, like two months worth of interviews. And then the next month I just explore and just see what happens synchronistically. And then that determines the next round that next month so i think we're both evolving and growing we're both yes. new at this and i think it's so cool to be growing like you said with the community that we have here no not just thanks to me but thanks to everybody who decided to to join this cooperative that i founded so yeah thanks man you're definitely a, a huge part of that we always chat and what are your thoughts on on the presentation i'm thinking we need to come back and uh, iron some of this stuff out for part two because we definitely brought a lot of things up but you know still so many questions not a lot of answers and and i i think we're we're still just getting into the the tip of the iceberg as they say yes yeah i would love that yeah to kind of come back with more clarity better pictures Maybe a little music, maybe a little solfeggio. Oh, the music the is going to be in there, brother. Out. We could put music yes. in it. Not for the live folks. There's only a handful of people. If you are listening to the show afterwards, we are live. We're on Rockfin for free. Stay up to date. I always put the link out on Twitter. I put it out on our Telegram. People are listening on Telegram. So there are ways to listen to the show live and watch the show because homie Romy had the really awesome slides that he brought to the presentation today. I was I was slacking, folks. I had like four or five pictures. This guy went out. He put a real proper presentation together. I love it, dude. Kudos to you. And and yeah, man. Thank I think you. I think this is definitely definitely something we got to come back and do again for sure. 
Oh fuck yes, I'm so down. I love. I actually really do enjoy it, and I it's it's good for me to sit down and take that time to really kind of write things out, dude. I'm a scatterbrain, you know. Like there's so much going on, and I would love this to be my full time thing, but it's 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 not. So I have to fit it in when I can, and also trying to you know stay sane. But you know, I just also want to say uh, since we're we're out here doing it, if you are listening. Telegram is tight. Go join our Rising from the Ashes Telegram group chat because we love all of our telegrammers and, you know, it's fun just to kind of like if you guys got any fucking articles or any sort of sweet information and, you know, just whatever. Post a picture of your dog. It's all good. Just get off Instagram. That shit is trash. Telegram is I would be doing this on Instagram, but they don't let you they don't let you connect on Instagram. I mean you could do a live stream on Instagram, but they just that for whatever reason my Bluetooth, you know, connects to Telegram but not Instagram. I wish I could do this live on Instagram, but Instagram is, you know, pretty trash. Like you said, they're they're ahead on a lot of features that I don't need and behind on a lot of features that I would love to see. So <laughs> either way, I'm not in the in the business of nitpicking. I'm happy wherever people want to <laughs> come and find the show, you know, as long as you find That's the show nice. and it resonates with you. And speaking of resonance, we got into resonance architecture. Homie Romy brought a lot of stuff to the table. <clears throat> I brought a little less stuff to the table. But this is a new format. We were trying something new. If you are listening on the audio format of the show, I probably clipped a little bit of the longer segments where we were kind of pausing to look at the pictures. So you might be getting less of the experience. So go over to Patreon and show us some love. And get the real experience, the whole video, or Rockfin if crypto is your thing. But either way, homie Romy, I'm going to let you go in this dark cave that you're in right now. And and I got to get going myself. I just had Nick Hinton on the show yesterday. I don't know if this episode is going to come out Ooh, before or tight. after, but that was a great conversation. And I think you were with me for the Owen Hunt intro, right? Yes, you called me on the way when I was in, in the vehicular yes. uh, driving somewhere. Yes, right on. Yes, I remember now. So great. I'm going to great day. Such a beautiful day. I'm going to see. I, I don't know. I want to see the, those episodes are coming out this week. So we'll see what people think. But but I might be doing extended intros and outros. And I'll definitely be in touch, homie Romy, to have you back on for one of those. But I got to run. My homie Ryan Dean is is waiting for me right now. I got to catch up with him. So I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you soon, brother. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, folks, for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and viewing it live, as I said, in all the places. And uh, have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Peace. All right, what an episode with the homie Romy. That's Roman from the Rising from the Ashes podcast. He's been on the show before. Uh, I think he was on that one episode. Ah, geez, I don't even remember now. Yeah, I don't think he has been on the show yet. I don't know. If he hasn't been on the show yet, his co-host, Dan, has been on the show way back. Dan Danunaki, shout out to you, brother. And yeah, I hope that, uh, that you know, warning at the end, uh, obviously, it didn't scare you away because you're, you're here now. 
So thank you for listening to the audio version of this podcast. I definitely recommend checking out the visuals, uh, at the very least just scrolling through. But either way, we're here now, folks, and this was another really cool episode with uh, with me, your host, Mystic Mark, talking about resonant architecture with the homie, Romy. And homie, Romy, we didn't even really properly give him an introduction. Uh, not only is he uh, a podcaster, he's a musician, he's a grower. I don't know if he wants me to talk about that part, but he does grow some sticky icky, and uh, he's an all-around really cool dude. So shout out to you, Roman. Uh, I apologize. I didn't give you a proper introduction there, but no worries. My family thinks some crazy podcast listeners love everyone that's been on the show. I don't think I've ever had a message that said, hey, I didn't like this guest. So that's really encouraging. And uh, yeah, I know I'm doing something. I know I'm doing something right. But either way, I am here in the outro of another episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and we went live on Telegram. We went live on Rockfin. And if you catch the Rockfin live stream while it's live, it's free. That's right. You don't even need a Rockfin account, uh, I don't think. Uh, so, yeah, that's right. If you are new to Rockfin and you want to just check it out, follow us on Twitter. I always post the uh, live stream link on Twitter. We have a Twitter, MFTIC Podcast on Twitter. And we also have an Instagram, at my family thinks I'm crazy on Instagram. Our Telegram chat is another great place to keep in touch. The live stream, like I said, goes on there. And I always share the links and, and keep in the conversation. There's a lot more people in there now than there was last time I talked about this. So it's growing and growing and growing. And... We have some sponsors, folks. That's right. We have three sponsors. We have the AkashaGoods.com. We have Audrey Lobdell. And we also have Fru, the Forest Bather. If you want to check out some really cool gift items, some energy, healing, cleansing products, go over to AkashaGoods.com. If you want a tuning fork session, over to AudreyLobdell.com. She is the tuning fork wizard. And then, of course, if you want to find out more about forest bathing, check out Fru. Her links are in the episode description. Thank you to our sponsors. And most importantly, thank you to our patrons who help keep this show on the road. Shout out to John G., one of our newer patrons. Reached out today with some kind words. Shout out to Moonwolf, who also reached out today with some kind words. Tara and I went and visited a very interesting hike, uh, hiking spot with many, many different big stones. We found quartz. It's great. Go over the rock fin where we'll be posting a, uh, a video all about that. And it will also be on the Patreon, of course. Anyways, enough with this. That's all I got for you guys today. No guest. Thanks again for being here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I got to go roll a blunt, relax. And that does it. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Peace.